Welcome to the How We Teach podcast. I'm so excited to dive back into season two for more meaningful and relevant conversations that make a difference for students and educators. The first thing I wanted to acknowledge for teachers as we round out the fall semester is the level of anxiety we're all experiencing right now. We came into this school year thinking it would be so much better than last year. No shutdowns constantly looming, higher vaccination rates, lower infection rates, and just generally being more accustomed to the whole COVID landscape. It really hasn't been better though. In Ontario, our last shutdown lasted from mid-April until the beginning of September. And getting used to being together again in person is taking some time. Almost every educator I've worked with this year has alluded to an edgy energy in our schools that manifests in a host of unsavory ways. So today's conversation about the Modern Classrooms Project couldn't come at a better time, when we desperately need to rebuild our human connections after a long and stressful time apart. We want students to feel grounded and cared about, and we want their learning to be meaningful. We also know that it's impossible to just pick up where we left off. And so to quote one of the founders of the Modern Classrooms Project, Kareem Farah, the constant pressure to catch kids up doesn't actually lead to increased mastery of content or skills. You can't rush kids through learning experiences. You can't devalue relationship building because kids are behind. All you can do is work to meet kids where they are at. The Modern Classrooms Project has three core components. The first is blended learning, where students access content through teacher-designed video lessons. This means no more whole class lessons up at the front, which frees teachers up to guide students in smaller targeted groups or one-on-one. -on -one. The next component is self-paced learning, so students can control the pace and challenge level within each unit. And the final component is mastery-based assessment, which requires students to demonstrate the required learning before moving on to the next lesson. This method allows teachers to customize their instruction to meet students exactly where they are. You can learn about the Modern Classrooms project by hopping on the website at modernclassrooms.org. There you will find the vision for the method, all the data that shows the positive impact on students and teachers, and everything else you could possibly need to explore this model in your own classroom. us today from the Modern Classrooms Project are Tony Rose Dianan and Emily Dia. Tony Rose is a program manager and Emily is a partnerships manager. First of all, I want to thank you and welcome you both um, for being here with us today. I'm so excited about this conversation. Um, and I just wanted to start with a little bit of an introduction. Um, if you could tell our audience about your journeys in education and, and your path um, that led you towards the Modern Classrooms Project. Yeah, thanks for having us, Amanda. Um, this is Emily here. I was a teacher um, and educator for 20 years. I started my journey in education through Teach for America in Houston, Texas. I was teaching a fifth grade um, inclusion classroom with ESL classroom back then. Um, and then I did most of the rest of my career in middle school, seventh and eighth grade English language arts. Um, and I was also an instructional coach during that time and an academic dean for middle school. So I love to think about curriculum and instruction. And I actually found the model um, 18 years into my practice. So um, I was struggling like many of us were during COVID, just drowning. And um, <laughs> I had listened to a podcast on the cult of pedagogy about the Modern Classrooms Project. And just got so enamored and into it. I took the free course right away. I started implementing right away in our virtual setting. And then I was able to do the virtual mentorship training um, throughout the summer, that next summer. And uh, Tony Rose is my mentor, which was so crazy. <laughs> um, so she guided me along building a reading unit for my first unit that I was going to use in August. So I implemented that next year um, in person fully, and I did every other unit in a Modern Classrooms model, and it was so transformative for my students. I cannot tell you the amount of actionable formative data that using this model generated for me as a teacher. I cannot underestimate. Like It was so amazing. 
Um, and I as actually differentiating from my students probably for the first time in 18 years, um, really creating personalized learning paths, really creating choice and voice on a regular basis for them. Um, so that was kind of what got me here. And then I just was so transformed by the model that I wanted to help other teachers be transformed. So that's what led me into my, my, my role now as a partnerships manager. I just work with schools and districts and teachers all over the world, really trying to implement this model and embrace innovation for the sake of kids. So really, that's my story. Wow. That's incredible <laughs> that you were so um, affected by by uh, listening to that podcast. And I'm, I'm with you on that. I've been teaching for 20 years and feeling the same way. Just, wow, this is amazing. And this is just what we need. And Tony mm. Rose, how about you, the mentor? <laughs> yeah. Um, so hi, everyone. My name is Tony Rose, and um, I use she, her pronouns. And so I actually started teaching in 2010. And um, so I taught for 10 years, and I found Modern Classroom uh, my 10th year. So I have experienced teaching um, middle school, and it was middle school English for majority of my life, really sixth grade. They are my babies. Um, seven and eighth grade, they're okay. Um, <laughs> but I would, you know, I always choose middle school over anything. I tried kindergarten for a while that did not work out for me. Um, and then, <laughs> and then of course, I taught high school elective classes. And so I kind of just knew middle school was my jam. Um, and I've always loved everything about reading and writing. And so English was just the right path for me. Um, and so I've taught in Atlanta before. I taught in Baltimore City and also in D.C. and I'm currently residing in Washington State. So last school year, I was actually an instructional coach during COVID. So that in itself was a whole experience trying to teach teachers how to do hybrid learning when I've never done it myself. So that was really interesting. Um, but then I was also um, working with Modern Classroom as far as like being a mentor and kind of just spreading the word because I absolutely I'm, like, I'm a firm believer of the model. Um, and so my last year of teaching, um, my 10th year, 2019, um, Kareem and Rob came into my school in DC and they were just like, hey, we have this great model. Are you interested? And I was like, yes, because I've been trying to do the flip learning. I've been trying to do blended learning, the self-paced, the mastery-based grading. And I knew all of those buzzwords. I just didn't know how to put it all together. And the beauty of it was that this is actually not flipped learning. So the students aren't doing anything at home. They're doing everything in that class time that we have. And I just fell in love with it. I dove right into it. Um, I implemented all the... Um, the elements of modern classroom right away. And this was the first time they've ever implemented in a middle school classroom and yet alone a middle school English classroom. And I was really fortunate enough to have a colleague of mine go through this training with me. Um, and so we were able to bounce back and forth ideas and we just like fell in love with it. We saw the progress that our students were making. Um, our students were basically owning their, their learning and really just holding themselves accountable for what they were learning. And, um, and I've always been good with establishing relationships. So I could tell you all the tea that my students were like telling me. I could tell you all the rumors. Like I could tell you what they were doing outside the house um, or outside the school. And it was just like such a great thing, right? But then I didn't really know academically like every student's needs. And when I started implementing Modern Classroom, I was actually able to say 100% that like I knew every one of my students' um, abilities in and outside of the classroom. And I was able to sit down and have conversations with students, catch them, you know, um, check in with them as soon as possible. Um, there was never any interruptions. My students felt um, like they had a lot of freedom to just learn the way that they that they they are able to. Um, and it was hard at first, right? Like, of course, it's a shift in learning and teaching. Um, but I just fell in love with it, and my students also fell in love with it. And like what Emily was saying, the data just shows like. Your students are actually mastering these different like standards if you're a standards-based school like they're mastering all the concepts and the skills you're teaching and they're doing it in their own pace which makes it so beautiful um and so ever since then like i told myself that i was going to be in the classroom forever um i became an instructional coach and i was like oh my gosh we really need this model like in every school um and so i found out about modern classroom having you know this position open and I was like, this is my move. Like, this is where I want to go. Like this is, and it's been so much fun just learning and, and just talking to teachers all over the world and just being able to help alleviate the stress because there's a lot of stress happening right now. Um, and so I was really fortunate to 
to have Emily as my mentee and then now working with her in a different capacity. It's just been so much fun getting to know each other. And I like absolutely love it. So yeah, that's just a little bit about me. (laughs) Well, it's another exciting journey and it's, it just sounds like it was meant to be um, just that you came across this and the opportunity came up and that's incredible that you started um, implementing the modern classrooms projects in a distance setting with COVID and um, really showing that it it um, is a, a a model that that works no matter what. Um, it doesn't matter the classroom setting, um, and and that's wonderful to hear that uh, it's so flexible for for students mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so let's talk about what the modern classroom project is, how it came to be, the the origins, and um, I think most importantly how it is. Um, a divergence from that traditional um, one direction instructional model, um, y- you know, where the flow of information is is from teacher to student only, desks in rows, live lectures at the front, <laughs> and very timed. So a lecture on day one, new lecture on day two, that type of thing. So um, how is Modern Classrooms um, a divergence from that traditional model. And as you said, such a vehicle for alleviating the stress that we've all been feeling. Yeah. I can start with the background and Tony Rose can fill in the other. Um, we can we can fill it in together. So we are an educational nonprofit started by two math teachers, two high school math teachers in Washington, D.C. And I know that we can all relate to this feeling. Like we've all been in classes in our life where we were just so bored. And we were just were like, okay, can you speed it up, please, teacher? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And we've also been in classes where we just felt like, please slow it down. I cannot keep up. I'm so lost. I need some extra help from you one-on-one. And then we've also been in classes where, um, as at least for me as teachers, like a large majority of my kids were behind proficiency level in terms of our grade level. So when Kareem and Rob, our co-founders, um, were teaching, they felt those those dissonant categories in their classrooms and they were just feeling like failures. Like there's no way that me standing at the front of the class for 30 minutes every day and talking at these kids is going to meet the needs of like all of these kids, you know, there's such a wide range. And so they just thought there has to be a better way. And so they came up with this instructional model, which is really focused on blended learning, self-pacing and mastery-based grading. And it's not like those are new concepts in our field, right? It's just that they figured out ways to help teachers implement those elements in a really structured way, but that's also really flexible. Um, And so that's what happened. They created this model. They started doing it in their classrooms and their colleagues started noticing and coming by and being like, what are you doing? Um, And they were like, well, let us tell you about it. And so then it became this sort of internal, um, you know, professional learning community and then when teachers started implementing it and we started seeing it scale in that way, like we realized this is something that could really help transform education, you know, for so many kids and for so many teachers around the world. So the nonprofit was started in 2018, I think. Is that right, Tony Rose? Um, officially. And um, now here we are today. Yeah. Yeah, and I just kind of wanted to add on to like that was beautiful, Emily. Um, the chronic absenteeism that was happening too, um, mm-hmm. and something that Kareem and Rob both noticed is that learning only continued in the classroom, and so they wanted to create a model where students were able to access all of their learning materials and resources wherever they may be. Right, yeah. so it's gotten to the point where like Kareem and Rob both knew like life happens. They're teaching high school, so our high school babies had other things that they needed to do, needed to take care of. But they just didn't want the learning to just happen within those four walls. So they created this model so that students can learn wherever, whenever. And I think that that's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I, I love that. And and I can only imagine what it would be like walking by uh, Robin Kareem's classroom as they're trying this. And I can't imagine an educator who wouldn't be able to relate and connect and see how um, this would just be so beneficial for students because um, we see the anxiety that you know that the there's a varied experience among these students. There's, you know, absenteeism, trauma, and all kinds of things, barriers for students. And the first time I watched the the Modern Classrooms Projects video, I just thought, yes, this is what we need. This um, promotes equity for students facing these barriers and it's it is a truly a thing of of beauty 
Um, and I think one of the most beautiful things is uh, how it puts uh, building relationships sort of at the forefront. And um, Tony Rose, you mentioned that you just knew exactly where your students were and exactly what they needed, um, which was, you know, able to make you such a responsive teacher in the classroom. So how does the Modern Classrooms Project put those relationships at the core yeah, I mean, so you're no longer in front of the class, right? So that frees up so much of your time. So as soon as students come in, they start right away where they left off the day before. Or if they wanted to do something at home, they were also able to do that. So they were just starting where they left off, wherever that may be. So then my students come in and we do um, a, a do now where essentially the students just kind of check in. How are you feeling today? What is your plan for today? Are you on pace, behind pace, ahead of pace? And when we talk about pacing, it's not a negative thing, right? It's just more like a, you know what? I'm behind today. That's okay. That's okay that I'm a little bit behind today, but I know that this is what I need to do to be on pace. Mm -hmm. So having those conversations with students and really uh, like encouraging them to ask for help when they need. However, knowing that like they need to also figure out themselves first before they ask for help. So it just kind of shifted that whole um, mindset of like, I'm no longer the person that they ask questions to. They can ask their peers. They can look on the internet. Like it wasn't bad for them to Google anything. I actually encouraged them to do that because I wanted them to be self-directed learners, right? And there's only one of me and there's like 22 of them. But then with the beauty of the lecture is that there could also be 22 of me and students can pause, can like, you know, repeat stuff. And it's just been so beautiful being able to sit down with students, particular students, like one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, and really just check in. So if I know that a student isn't feeling well, I don't have to wait 20 minutes later or 25 minutes later to have that conversation. I could check in right away and be like, hey, I see that you haven't done the do now and you always do the do now. What's happening? And we can have that quick check-in and the students love it, right? Sometimes they just need an outlet. Sometimes they just need someone to say, hey, I care. Like I I, I notice that you're not feeling well. Um, that is my best friend's dog. Hold on. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> um, but as far as relationships are concerned, I do, I love the fact that I can check in with my students right away and not have to wait until later. Because we all know that if students aren't feeling well, if something is happening outside of their control, outside of our control, students aren't going to be able to learn. Even if they try, they're distracted, mm -hmm. something is happening. And so just providing that space for them to be whoever and try to process it however they need to, it's really, really nice for them to be able to do that. It's no longer just like, a, hey, I'm going to lecture for 20, 25 minutes and you have to pay attention right now. It doesn't matter if you had to deal with something beforehand, like you have to pay attention now. And so I think like my students love that, right? They're able to really get to know one another, first of all, because they have to trust each other, hold each other accountable, asking each other questions before they can come to me. Because they knew that everything that I provided for them was already in front of them. And so because I have everything for them, I can go and sit with my student and be like, yo, like, how was your soccer game yesterday? You know, what did you eat for breakfast today? Or how are you and your girlfriend? Because everyone has girlfriend and boyfriends now. And so it's just really nice to have those like check-ins with students. Yeah, for sure. And I would say too, the other relationship piece is like an academic relationship piece that really shifted for me and that I was using my class time to not only confer with students and like reteach in the moment, but also give feedback live, which we know is what they need. And it, it really felt very safe to do that one on one sitting right beside that student. Um, I just found that my kids growth mindsets just jumped like, you know, leaps and bounds when I was implementing this model because they were open to feedback. And it was like everybody's on this journey throughout this unit together. Um, we're all just, you know, trying to work through these objectives and um, and get to where we want to be in the end. And so I would say in that way, it really tweaked my my academic relationships with my students as well. Um, and that's just something that is really, yeah, remarkable for me after so many years. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that I wanted to jump into, Emily, I just thought about it, too, um, is the fact that like students weren't asking me about grades anymore. They were yes. asking Ms. D, like I made revisions. Can you look at my revisions? Mm -hmm. Or Ms. D, what can I do better? Right. It's no longer a grade conversation, yes. but hey, how can I show mastery in a different capacity, in a different way? Right. So if there was something that was written, they would be like, Ms. D, they could advocate for themselves and be like, Ms. D, could I do this this way? Yes. 
please go mm-hmm. for it, right? And it's just so beautiful that students know that it is their learning journey. I am just there to help guide them and they're taking ownership and they just feel empowered, right? And magic happens when we have students who feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And just like what Emily was saying, like our academic relationships is kind of intertwined with like our personal mm-hmm. relationships just because like you just kind of know students like as a whole being, which is mm-hmm. so beautiful. Like I just model, it's just beautiful. <laughs> and, and it does, it sounds like the perfect balance between the social emotional well-being and the academic well-being and um just the skills that you're mentioning the ability to um to self-assess and the students must have been absolutely solid with where they are and where they need to go and what they need to do to get there and as you said take that ownership um and, and aren't these skills are just so important um to um, when we're cultivating expert learners that they can go off now and learn anything. They don't, um, you know, they develop that independence, which is really what we want for them. Yeah. Um, and one question I had was, do you ever get patterns, um, where certain students are sort of always taking the role of peer instructor and other students are sort of always taking the role of, oh gosh, I need some help. I need to ask some questions. Does that happen? And is it okay? Uh, That's an interesting question. For me, it depended on the unit. It sort of shifted by unit. So I would see similar roles within the context of one unit. And we do encourage our educators just to think about, you know, the implementation a unit at a time. So they're just self-pacing within one unit. And then you're either starting a new unit or you're doing something else in in between. Um, So I would say, yes, I saw some of those patterns, but also it's really cool to see those patterns shift between units. So a kid who might have been behind pace chronically in unit one by unit three is like ahead of pace and has really figured out how to manage their time, how to, you know, figure out I've got the soccer practice after school on Tuesday, so I'm not going to be able to work on Tuesdays or, you know. Um, So in that way, it's just such a a cool um, invitation, I think, to kids to grow and to change their own um, conception or their own self-identity as learners. Like, Like, I'm not just the kid that's behind all the time. Like, I was behind in this unit. But next unit, I'm probably, you know, like I have another choice I can make. Um, And also just to know, like, you know, school is the only place you're asked to be great at everything all the time. So like that idea of like, that wasn't your strongest unit, maybe this next one will be. And then we'll continue to circle back to those skills that you weren't as strong in last time so that you can feel and leave this grade level strong um, and confident. So that's what I would say to that one. Yeah, and I would um, I would have to say the same with me, um, but it was a little bit more specific to the skill, right? Sometimes like lesson one, I have my all-stars who are like on point. And then for lesson two, it's a different set of um, students, which I thought was like so, um, so great because then like what Emily was saying, you're not the kid who's always behind. Like, no, you actually know this skill and you get to be a student leader if you wanted to be a student leader. And that is a-okay. So sometimes their teachers or educators also or like, oh, but like, you know, how can we make students the student leaders? And I'm like, well, we don't really want to make them and force them. It just kind of like, it comes naturally, right? Because they are helping each other out. And I think um, I love the part where, you know, students, I'll try and teach students and they'll be like, Misty, I don't get it. And I'm like, okay, we'll go talk to your best friend. And then they say the same exact thing I said, but then they get it. And I'm just like, that's okay. It is what it is. Like, That is fine. Um, And so I just think like, yeah. (laughs) That's really neat Um, that to hear that the pattern shifts and changes and that's wonderful. And the door is never closed. Yes, you were behind paced here, but um, you know, what did you learn from that? And what can you, what can you do differently next time? And always have that chance to feel good um, about growth and and the opportunity to uh, to see that progress I'm sure is is motivating for students um, and the the other or let's get into um, the that idea of the um, the blended learning the um, so the the teacher chooses um, which lessons need to be put into video instruction form I know that they're supposed to stay short and concise and um, have only one learning objective as at a time. So when teachers first learn that they've got to make video uh, or sorry, instructional videos, how do you calm the fear of, of tackling that? Yeah. 
Well, Tony Rose can, she coached me. So I'll tell you what she told me and what we try to teach teachers. So my first instructional video, I think was 17 minutes long. <laughs> my first submission is really long. Um, and then I learned in the course, like all these really easy to access, um, to access best practices. So there is that sweet spot and it's a range of six to nine minutes for secondary learners. So there is a range that that feels like less scary than like it has to be exactly six minutes. And they're also just fun things to note, like the research suggests that creative and personal videos that show your teacher's face are more engaging, um, even if there's a ton of mess ups. Um, the kids are more likely to retain information when they see you because they trust you, right. you know, rather than going to a third party video, um, they know you and trust you. And so you are their person. And so you should be on the screen with them. Um, so just some, we just teach teachers like a handful of best practices. And it seems to be, for, at least for me, it was very easy to internalize. And then over time, I just got better and better. It is definitely one of those skills that you do over time that you get better and better at. Um, and we have all these great templates and resources for teachers to use along the way as they're learning to do this um, with whatever screencaster they're using, with whatever slides they're using. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of autonomy there for teachers and there's just like a handful of best practices that we would definitely recommend. Yeah. And something that I would um, something that I've heard a couple of times from educators, too, is like, oh, but I don't want to see my face or I don't want I don't like listening to my voice. Right. So it definitely takes some getting used to. But the more that you do, you know, the more you do it, the more comfortable you become, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and so a couple of things, too, that I always tell my educators is that have fun with it, right? Like I get it that we're in front of a camera. We want to put our best selves in. Like we don't want any interruptions. We want it to be perfect. But it's actually more authentic when we show up as ourselves, when we laugh and crack jokes or like if our dog runs <laughs> by or barks or whatever, like it makes us human, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is something I didn't learn the very first time I created a video. It took me the whole day to create a six minute video because I just kept like restarting, right. restarting, restarting, restarting. And it's not, that's not cute. Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't spend the whole day on one video because you want it to be perfect. And as teachers and educators, right, we want to be perfect. Like that's just something that we always strive for, but mm -hmm. it's like, no, it's actually okay. So my students absolutely love when I can't pronounce words correctly or if I mess up or, you know, like I get interrupted. Um, another beautiful thing about the instructional videos is that I'm an English teacher, right? So I love stories. I will tell stories all day long. Um, but with the six to nine minutes, I can't tell all my stories. I have to be really concise. I have to be on point. And then I'll tell my stories later for my one-on-one, -on -one, like if there's anything I want to share, right? That was a hard shift for me because if I'm thinking about, you know, if I'm teaching about theme, well, I have 15 stories about theme, but where we, we really just want to focus on that skill, on that topic, right? And so that was a shift for me because I love to talk. Um, but, you know, just like as that, you know, if you're starting out with instructional videos, it's really difficult, right? Because you see yourself, you hear yourself. The more, the more you do it, the more you get better, like the better you get. I always tell my mentees as well, hey, put a 25-minute timer on. You got to be done in 25 minutes. And so that makes it a lot easier, right? Because then you're not really – you're not really – focused on making it perfect. You're not focused on making it like or saying the right things. Some people write out scripts. I tried that. But again, it was like really awkward for me to just like read a script and I could just speak the way that I would speak as if I am talking to a live audience. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I normally tell our educators too. It's like, you know what? It's just pretend like you're talking to kids and just go and have a good time. Like be yourself, bring out your personality, be quirky, be weird, like whatever it is that you are, continue that. It is a-okay. The students absolutely love it. Yeah. There's so much also creativity that can happen in an instructional video. Like I worked with a teacher this summer who taught like lower school science and she was doing a weather unit and she was outside in every video in a different outfit, in a different weather situation. Like just making it work. And it was so engaging and so interesting. And that was her little opener for every video. And then she went into her content. And um, I just love that. I was like, this is so joyful. And her kids are probably cracking up. And they were like, you know, it, there's just things that it does allow you to do that you can't do in a live lecture. So in that way, it's really, it's really fun and creative as well.
That's awesome. And Emily, you mentioned uh, in the beginning there when you started, you didn't overhaul your program. You did it every other unit. So it's something that you could try, sort of dip your toes in and give it a try. And um, as a high school teacher, I would be absolutely honest with my students. We're going to try this and it might be... (laughs) a disaster, but we're going to get better and better. And um, such a great thing to model that being human for for students. Yeah, for sure. We also say like, even if you don't want to jump in fully, like Tony Rose did right away, like you might just start with self-piecing or you might just start with the instructional videos. You don't have to implement every single element of the model right away. That's a large lift. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can still make incredible transformative change in your classroom if you're not doing every little detail, you know, all the time, because like we are, you know, we're on a learning journey as educators. Also, we're getting better and better. The more we learn, the more we try, the more we talk to our kids. Um, And so that, that just that perspective of progression, I think, and movement is really important to hold on to. There's not like one right way. Oh, for sure. And and let's take perfection off the table. (laughs) Yes. I, I love the idea of the one uh, learning goal at a time. And and this is where I'll throw in that connection to the the universal design for learning because it gives you those firm goals and helps track the curriculum standards, helps you sort of answer that question, what do I want students to know, learn, and do? Um, so it, it, one at a time would be easy to track and that, that I love um, as someone who struggles with long-range planning. Um, but it also, as you said, opens up that that flexible means part so that the students can access the learning through the video. Um, They can then go and learn about it in another way from their peers, from the internet, from conversations. And so they have this, this multiple means of representation, um, which really must increase their, you know, chances of connecting with the material and, and learning what they need to. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the other component that we don't talk about, um, or maybe people don't know about, is the idea of guided practice and guided notes. Yeah. So in addition to the instructional video, students are taking notes along with that and you know, recording that knowledge and reflection somewhere. And then teachers are designing really robust and interesting practice that does often have multiple access points, like different modes that they can engage in. But there is some sort of practice before they engage in um, some sort of assessment of that skill for that lesson. Um, and I think you're right on. Like, I think it does it does force us as educators to be precise and to be really thinking about what, how do we know what they know, right? <laughs> and what is it that we want them to know? Um, and so I think you're right. You're right on there. I love the idea of the guided notes because it really does put the students in the driver's seat, um, having yeah. to think, what will my future self need to remember and be able to access um, later on when I need to demonstrate mastery? So the guided notes is such a, a wonderful skill to to um, have the students work through as well. Is that something that you would do at the beginning of the course to sort of teach them different ways of, of, of keeping track of their notes? I have so many feelings about guided notes um, <laughs> only because I started at the model using guided notes. Um, something that I tell my mentees, my educators all the time is be really intentional with your guided notes mm-hmm. because what happens is you have a six minute video and the students are going to take 30 minutes trying to fill out the guided notes because they're just trying to figure it out. So your six minute lesson now turns into 30 minutes and they weren't, they're not transferring those skills like they should be with the guided practice and independent practice. My students really honed in on the guided notes. Like they wanted to get everything right. They paused. So I would just say with guided notes is a great idea. Be super intentional with what you want students to fill out. So when I realized that, because I taught students who were emergent multilinguals, right, like English language learners, as well as like I had students with 504s and IEPs, and so different levels of students, and they were taking a really long time taking notes. And so for me, that was not a good use of time. I didn't want them to use that time just taking notes. I wanted them to transfer, watch that video of um, about that skill, and I want you to transfer those skills now into guided practice and our independent practice and then our mastery check, right? 
And so what I started doing with students is that I provided them a summary of what the lesson was about. So we called it a cheat sheet. So now they had access to something that they could listen and watch, and then they have something that they can read that was written out for them. So then it just you know provided more access points to what we were learning. Um, and then as far as the guided notes were concerned, I just told them, hey, if you need to take notes, Take notes the best way that you know how. So I had students drawing out things as they were listening. They had bullet points. Like they were getting really creative with their guided notes um, or with their notes as as they're listening and watching the video. So I think that's my thing is like guided notes are great. It's a great skill, but also make sure that you teach that skill to students because Mm -hmm. sometimes our students just have no idea how to take notes and they write down every single thing. And so it sounds good, but make sure that you go over that skill and that that you're actually being super intentional with what guided notes look like, because that could take the whole class time. And that's not what we want. Yeah. And so many educators actually build like little mini units before the, the, the heavier content of the year to teach those skills like note taking, like time management, um, how the classroom is just going to flow from a modern classroom's perspective. Um, a lot of teachers call that their unit zero. Some of those those basic skills that kids can return to again and again. Um, and I would say definitely like we have educators using closed notes. We have educators using, um, you know, the app Purdue owl notes. Like we have, there's all kinds of things or Cornell notes. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's lots of, there's lots of different ways to do it, but I think Tony Rose is exactly right. Like it's gotta be some structure and a lot of intentionality. Um, I think about myself as a learner and when I just when I don't have a focus to what I'm trying to write down, it's all over the place. So we do want everything that we build for kids to feel helpful yeah. to support them in their long-term understanding for sure. And, and another crucial skill um, for building um, independence. And Tony Rose, I, I really love your, I'm an English teacher as well. So I love your choice of the summary um, because it's um, you're modeling it for the students. And as you mentioned, some of our ESL learners, they might not have the confidence to know which terms are the key vocabulary or which are the main ideas. So modeling, um, you know, pulling out the key, the key vocabulary and the key ideas is such a, a wonderful skill for all of our learners. Yes. And so when the students sort of finish their, their instructional video and they've got their, their guided notes, they move into the self-paced structure where they're practicing the skills that they need to demonstrate in the mastery phase. Um, so how does the modern classrooms model deal with the bottleneck problem of some kids might be done really quickly and other students um, might need you know, quite a lot more time. So how, what flexibility is there? Yeah, there's so many things to think about here, aren't there? I I think one big thing is just the emphasis on backwards design so that the whole unit, you have a vision for the whole unit from the very beginning and that kids know where they're going to go. The other thing to consider is how many lessons you drop a week for kids to move through. I found that my first unit, I dropped everything right at the beginning and it was a disaster because I did have like, in two days, some kids were done. And then I had like all these kids who hadn't started yet. So we had to revisit. And I also found out I couldn't keep up with the feedback. So for me, a sweet number was three lessons a week. And then I had these alternative paths that kids could go on if they caught up to pace. So the on pace lessons were three a week. And then they had um, kind of standing aspire to do paths that they could pursue as language arts students, whether that would be like you know, corresponding with an author that they were into or doing their independent, something more extension with their independent reading work. Um, So those are two thoughts I have around that. But it's also, um, it can be, you have to be very designed. I would say the design piece is really important. Yeah, and I think it all depends on the LMS too, right? Some LMSs you're able to um, have like a checkpoint and so students can't move forward. Um, And so Emily had three lessons per week. Um, When we shifted to virtual learning, I had one lesson a week. And so, you know, some educators like, well, how is that self-pacing? Well, it's self-pacing because some students take a day to do it. Some student takes four, you know, some students take four or five days to do it. So it's still Mm self-pacing. But it's also really interesting with backwards planning because then you kind of know, okay, what are our should do and are aspire to do assignments, right? And so my students 
loved reading. And so I like took advantage of that. And I'm like, you know what? Once you're finished with your must-dos, you have the opportunity to do your should-dos and your aspire-to-dos, or you can just read, right? Um, there are some times where my students will be like, hey, Missy, I'm finished with everything. Natural consequence. You have all this free time. What are you doing? So then I'm like more lenient than others. And so my, you know, my students will be like, well, can I play this game for like five minutes? Sure. Take a brain break play that game. I'm putting a timer on, but after five minutes, you're done. You got to move on to something else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so students know that they have options to choose from on what they're doing when they are finished. It's, they're just not there to like waste time. Some of my students use the time to work on other classes as well. And that is, that is okay with me. Right. But some teachers would be like, no, they have to only work on like my work, which is okay. Like that is fine. Another thing that uh, works really well for me is that I would have conversations with students in the beginning of the unit. Hey, this is our, you know, our overall topic. Here's our central question. Here's our summative assessment. What do you think is a good aspire to do for this unit? So opening up that conversation where students are like, oh, I think it'd be really cool to create like a Minecraft world or whatever it is, right? Like that portrays this kind of like dystopia, utopia kind of stuff. And so then I'm they're part of the planning process now, right? So they know like, oh, we came up with this, this aspired to do. So I want to do this because we came up with this. So that kind of just like increases their motivation to complete their must do and then also continue working on their aspired to do because it was their idea. So again, they're part of the learning, right? They're part of that process. They're part of that planning and they're way more interested in um, completing these things that they wanted to complete because it was their idea. Yeah. Um, Another key feature to help with the bottleneck is to make sure that you have a tracking system that works for you and your students really well. So whether it's a student facing tracker that just sort of the kids kind of keep their own eye on their pace or it's a, a, a public facing tracker where everybody can see where everyone is in the course of the unit. It just helps keep um, an eye on the flow of where everyone is at all times. Yeah, and that's also another thing that educators are hesitant about, but I think it's all about how you roll it out, right? Um, This is something that we talk about all the time as educators. If we are excited about something, our students are going to be excited about something, right? So when I introduced a public um, pacing tracker, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, right? Like, oh, you're going to see, are you going to see my grades? No, it has no grades at all. It's just telling you where you are. You know that there are 10 lessons in this unit. You're just going to see which ones you've mastered and which ones need revisions. Revisions do not mean it's a bad thing. It just means means please go back and revise as soon as you can. It's not something that we're going to call each other out on. It's a way to celebrate all of our successes and also just, again, holding each other accountable, right? And another thing about the pacing tracker is that it holds the teacher accountable. I cannot be behind on my feedback or my grading. My students can't move forward unless I give them that real-time feedback. And so with the pacing tracker, it's not just on the kids. It's also on me. Like, essays could not be on my desk for two weeks. They have to be... Like you had to give them feedback right away. But then with that being said, you want to chunk it, right? So you're not going to be reading 50 essays in one night. It's going to be like, oh, here, write this part. You'll be able to read that, provide real-time feedback. And it's quick as well, right? I love the pacing tracker and my students love the pacing tracker. This is the first thing they look at after they do their do now, just so that they can also see, oh, my best friend is already in this lesson. Let me go sit with him. And it's like, okay, don't get distracted. I'm all about like working together. And I'm glad that you're utilizing the pacing tracker to see who's on pace and who you can have conversations with so that you're not just having conversations with me. So the way that you roll out the the pacing tracker is really, really, really important. Just telling students like, hey, this is a positive thing, not a negative thing, right? Um, And you can also use numbers, nicknames. Students love creating nicknames and they tell on each other anyway, like, (laughs) oh, I'm SpongeBob SquarePants. Like, no, but okay, cool. Um, so they'll tell on each other. And and then I shared this pacing trackers with all stakeholders. So my families knew where their students were, um, my co-teachers, uh, my admin, they just knew where my students were so that they know like, oh, for this standard, Ms. D's already got like 80% of her students mastered it already. So, and then they know if they were to come in 
like during an observation, I am sitting with these group of students to get them to where they need to be. So the pacing tracker is really, really, really powerful. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I, Tony Rose, I love your um, sort of emphasis on the balance between celebrating the successes, but also making sure that accountability is there both for students and and teachers. And uh, it really highlights the autonomy that students would um, exercise throughout the self-pacing component, being in charge of, of that path for themselves and using the tracker to perhaps make decisions about who they should work with and um, where they can, can find some support. And the, the mm-hmm. feedback, um, put it, they're accountable to implement that feedback. Um, and then the, the communication with all stakeholders, it's, it's just beautiful. Um, everyone is, is in a supportive network together and um, everyone just is aware of where the students are. The students themselves are aware and, and that knowledge is, um, must be the thing that empowers the learning path. We know where we are, we know where we need to be, and and we know what we need to do to achieve that mastery. And sort of heading back earlier into, you know, this segment, the um, differentiation that the students are themselves choosing that path. And you talked about the must-dos, the should-dos, and the aspire-to-dos. Um, so I, I love that tailored, individualized path that students have available. Yeah. I think the other cool thing about that moment in this uh, modern classroom um, ecosystem is the opportunity for goal setting. So within even just one class period, it's, you know, we always started our classes in my eighth grade language arts classes. Like, what's your goal for the day? Take a look at the pacing tracker, get, turn to your neighbor and tell a tangible goal for the day. Like, what is it that you want to get done? And it could be just like, watch one video, or it could be like, finish the whole thing, you know, and take two mastery checks or whatever it is. So I think, um, I think that's such a, a beautiful tool to also build autonomy around goal setting and and get kids comfortable with that feeling of setting and accomplishing goals over time regularly. And and again, that goal setting um, is such a, a valuable skill for our independent learners and and knowing as well. And and we're modeling with our instructional videos and and you know our own learning path as teachers that it's not always going to be 100% smooth. There will be some bumps and and we'll learn from those bumps and use that uh, learning to make decisions the next time. So the the skills that make the foundation of this model are, are everything that students need to become expert learners, which is, is just incredible. Um, in the last component of the Modern Classroom's project model is that grading for mastery. So I, I'm assuming this is another divergence from the traditional model. So could you um, explain to us what mastery-based learning and assessment are? So I was fortunate enough to work at an IB school, right? And so we were kind of like doing something similar. Um, but I know when I worked in a traditional school setting, uh, we had to grade participation. We sometimes, I mean, I was even at fault where I graded behavior. Oh, gosh, that was awful. Um, and so it kind of impacted how you saw students, right? It was no longer just an academic standard mastery base, but it was like, oh, you acted bad today. I'm going to mm-hmm. take points off. So it didn't really mirror their account, like their academic abilities, right. um, what I was doing prior to Modern Classroom. And so when Modern Classroom came around, I was like, oh, I've always wanted to do this kind of grading. I didn't want to be biased. I didn't want to like focus on what students were doing outside of like their academics. Um, and so it was just a clear cut, like, hey, did you master the standard or not? Regardless of if you were being rotten to me (laughs) two minutes ago, like, did you get this content or not? And so I was able to really differentiate, compartmentalize, right? Like, oh, like they're having a bad day. I can't, that's fine. Have a bad day. Let's look at like what you're able to do outside of you having a bad day, right? And so I think I just really, 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 love this part because it is just academics like it's not participation it's not engagement it's like 
do you actually understand this concept? Can you transfer these skills from the video where you're being introduced to your guided practice to your independent practice slash mastery check? Like, do you truly understand this? And if you do not, what are the misconceptions that are happening? And how can we then have conversations about what is happening with your learning? And I love that part. And so when I talk to my, you know, educators about what mastery checks would look like, you know, a couple of educators, like we don't want it to be um, multiple choice. Multiple choice can be like the easiest, right? Like I'm all about being efficient. And, but I think it's also part of the conversation asking students like, Hey, how did you get this correct answer? And they'd be like, Oh, I chose all three. And the last one was the right one. And it's like, okay, great process of elimination. So glad you got that. That is a testing skill. Now let's talk about why you think D was the correct answer. Why was D the best answer? And let's have that conversation. And that conversation is literally one, two, three minutes. And then they're able to process, right? Like, let's go back to the text. Why is this the correct answer? Why is this the best answer and not this one? And so just having that discourse is really, really important. They don't even have to really write anything out. It's just having that conversation because I'm a firm believer that when you can explain something, no matter if it's verbally or like written or whatever, like you get it. So having being able to have those conversations with students has been an impact for me, has been, you know, made an impact on them. And it's just been such a great conversation of just learning about how they learn and how they process. Yeah. Yeah, we understand mastery based grading to mean um, we can call it proficiency. You can call it whatever you want. Standards based grading. But really just that idea that like within each lesson, there is one skill that we're trying to figure out if that student is proficient at. Um, and then we're trying to articulate really clear criteria that the students know this is an example or these are criteria that equal mastery. So if I'm teaching the skill of um, making an accurate summary, then I'm really clear with them on a progression of this is an example of a summary and these are the qualities that meet that show mastery based on our, you know, our state standards or what national standards or whatever it is. And then this is, you know, across the progression to like no mastery at all. So there is that range of mastery proficiency that we're trying to get kids really good at. And the idea is that if you're building in little mastery checks across the unit, that when you get to that summative assessment experience at the very end, when they're using all those skills all together, there's very clear data along the way of like which of those building blocks they struggled with and which they didn't. And then what you could might expect to see in that summative experience. Um, I think the other cool thing about mastery checks is like Tony Rose said and suggested, like there's not just one way to do it. We have educators using videos. We have educators using just conversations. We have educators using self-grading forms. I mean, there's just endless possibilities to how mastery is assessed. Um, and so I think that's really exciting and also very authentic. You know, that's what we want. We want to be thinking about as educators. And this also just reminded me to um, thanks, Emily. As educators, it really forces us to hone in on that one particular skill. Mm -hmm. So your mastery check has to be based off of that objective that you started in the instructional video. It's no longer, oh, we're going to add in these extra things. No, like you need to just focus on that one skill. And so it forces educators to just be really, again, intentional with what yes. they're putting out there for their students. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I feel like a question we should ask ourselves as teachers is, why am I doing this? Is it, is it because I enjoy this story or is it, is it actually connected to a, a learning objective? So it's a great way to vet our own practice as well. And the thing that I'm totally. hearing, the thread that's woven throughout is, is equity, um, that it doesn't matter if you had a bad day. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with this in your life. Um, you have a chance to demonstrate your mastery. Um, we have clear criteria, clear um, tracking that that we're using. And, and so students don't have to feel like there's, um, you know, a label on them. I'm the bad kid, so I'm not going to get a, a good mark. It's, it's really... Um, such an equitable model that, you know, everyone has a chance and, and, and a chance to show the learning in, in a way that um, fits their style of learning mm -hmm. so that there isn't just one way to, to demonstrate that mastery, which really forces us to acknowledge that we all learn in different ways. And there's no one way to express that for mastery. Yeah, you're right. The other key 
component that you hinted at there is just really being intentional with the, um, the reassessment and revision policies in the classroom so that students know like it's just a not yet for me. You know, I haven't mastered this yet or I have, I'm not proficient yet at this and, um, and really building out very clear pathways for reassessment for them. So it's not just like they just keep trying and trying and trying. They actually have to go back, complete additional right. practice, maybe have a conference with me as their teacher, maybe meet with a small group of other students who are struggling in that particular lesson or skill um, so that it is like a, a continual learning journey and process right. and, and truly like that, not yet. I haven't got it yet, but I'm gonna get it eventually. Um, and one amazing thing is that there's a free online course that just offers so much, absolutely everything you could possibly need for, for support. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect from this online course? Yeah, you could go to learn.modernclassrooms.org to check out the free course. Um, you can join over 32,000 educators around the world who have completed our course so far, and you're going to learn all the basics about uh, mastery-based grading and blended learning and self-pacing there. Um, and if you're ready for a little bit more, then you can sign up for our virtual mentorship program, which is where Tony Rose and I met each other. And that content is all the same, but the difference is you're going to be partnered with a an expert educator who is practicing the model right now in their classroom. And then they are going to support you as you complete assignments around each of those five modules that you would have you know, taken in the free course. So you're going to create and submit classroom-ready material and get feedback on it from a practicing educator. Um, our, our mentors are paired with an algorithm that's actually like kind of based like a dating algorithm. So it's like you're guaranteed to be with someone that you really are compatible with, who's going to really push you and support you throughout the process. Um, it's really an incredibly transformative experience, probably the most powerful professional development I've ever done as an educator, just because it was so personal and so actionable for me. It really gave me the tools to implement what I was learning about right away. Um, and the impacts were pretty pretty immediate there. So you can go onto our website, Modern Classrooms. Um... Oh my God, what's the website? <laughs> ModernClassrooms.org. Oh my gosh, y'all. ModernClassrooms.org. I freaked out. I'm going to start it again. I'm going to start it again. Oh my gosh. That was so embarrassing. I just like, my brain was like, that's wrong, but it's not wrong. Okay, I'm going to do it again. Ready? So yeah, you can check out our website, modernclassrooms.org. You can go onto uh, the virtual mentorship page right there and check us out, or you can reach out to me or Tony Rose or anybody on our team. We'd love to chat with you about um, opportunities to grow your practice and learn a little bit more. And another thing I wanted to add on to, Emily, thank you for that, is that once you're part of the Modern Classroom family, you will never get rid of us. Um, you have such a huge support system. So even if you just decide to do the free course, which is beautiful and perfect, right? There is a link for a Facebook group where we have over 7.6 thousand um, members of just educators implementing this model and really asking questions and celebrating things that's going well or you know sharing things that are challenging and so you have such a huge support system um, that you'll be able to access as well which is absolutely incredible because our educators are putting up their resources the things that they've done in their classrooms putting pictures so you can actually visualize and wrap your head around how this could look like for you um, and then of course some of our educators decided that they want to make even more specific groups. So there's like English teacher groups um, specific with subject and content um, grade level as well. But the community and the family just so open to sharing all of the resources. And even if you are the lone person doing this at your school, you still have the support system that you'll need. And I think that that, again, is like one of the, the things that I really love about Modern Classroom is that you will never feel alone. You will always have a support system with you. And I can I've taken the free online course and I can testify it's incredible and you really do feel so supported at every turn and every little bump you can imagine in the road there's someone there um, to support you and who's been through it as well I want to end with just our one small thing because um, the modern classrooms project it's it's a big thing this method it takes a lot of pre-planning and organization so if you could recommend, just choose something that would give a teacher who's learning about this for the first time today, just one small step that they could try, what would you say? Um, I would definitely say go and listen, go to our resources page on our website and listen to one 
podcast episode, whether it's the Cult of Pedagogy, um, pick one of those three that are featured there or listen to our uh, Modern Classrooms podcast episode, just one episode, just to get your brain sort of dreaming and thinking. Um, For me, it was starting with the self-pacing. That's what I really was stuck on the most. And so picking one element and listening about it, that's where I would start. Yeah, I completely agree with Emily. That one's a little bit more attainable than what I had in mind. Um, <laughs> but I would also just take a look at your curriculum and see what, you know, what's the mastery check that I can do with this one specific objective or one lesson? Mm. How could I simplify it, chunk it so that I could provide, you know, in-time feedback, real in-time feedback, feedback for my students and that it doesn't overwhelm me? when I'm looking through and um, reading through all of the mastery checks. So is this something to just think about? You have your curriculum in front of you. Take a look at what um, your mastery check could look like. That's something that's easy, quick, um, and accessible for students. And such great advice. So listen to a podcast and choose a curriculum standard and away we go. (laughs) Love it. I want to thank you both for your time today. This was an incredible conversation and I am so excited about the Modern Classrooms Project. It is just what we need. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. Very much. Anytime. And we certainly modeled uh, overcoming bumps with technology today. We sure did. (laughs) And we mastered it. (laughs) (laughs) Mastery check still pending. (laughs) 